Welcome to The Last Trump, a radio show on end times prophecy. We encourage you to get your Bibles out and go to the scriptures with us as we look at the biblical truths found within the Bible that are pointing us to the soon coming of Jesus Christ. And now, live from the Revolution Studios on Grand Island, New York, here's your host, Mike Jory. Brother Gary Ka is a global expert. He's been a, a guest here on The Last Trump previous broadcast. Been way too long uh, since we had him, so we are excited tonight to get updated on uh, world events. And of course, uh, there is so much happening, and who better to talk to than someone that has inside information? Gary, welcome tonight to The Last Trump. Hi, Mike. It's great to be with you. It's good to be with you. First and foremost, give me an update. How are you doing, brother? How's your family? How's Audrey? How's the ministry? We're, we're doing well. Just spread very thin right now, to be honest with you. There's so much going on, and um, we're doing our best to respond as the Lord leads. Um, but a lot happening in the world, as, as you know. And uh, we don't want to do anything to um, cause fear. We just want to speak truth into the situation and point people to Jesus. Um, but yeah. it is important that we are aware of some of these developments, because as Christians in these last days, um, the Lord wants us to be discerning, and uh, we're living in very deceptive times. So that's a challenge for all of us, and, and including myself and Audrey on a daily basis with all the different information uh, that's coming in. Amen. And I, w I want to um, just make this announcement to all our listeners, as you've probably heard in the weeks previous, that now the last Trump is not only on WDCX, but through social media. This broadcast is being heard literally all around the world. We're getting um, from really every continent downloading the last Trump and many cities across America are getting these uh, through podcasts. And we are just so appreciative uh, to Brother Kirk Space, who's making that happen out of central Pennsylvania, taking each week these two broadcasts and getting them on uh, these social networks all around the world. And the last Trump is really gaining a lot of momentum. I don't know if that's because of the title and people, uh, you know, click on it or download it because they think they're going to hear uh, you know, something about uh, former President Donald Trump. I don't know, but it is the Lord, I believe, that's causing such a, 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 a groundswell of people that are interested in Bible prophecy. Gary, as we get into the things tonight that we want to discuss, I, I really want, first and foremost, everyone just to know who you are and what you do um, in your ministry. I know pe there's people listening tonight that know you, have heard you, uh, before either on the last Trump or other places. Um, but uh, for the new listener, just give a little background of who you are in your ministry, what you're doing these days. Okay. Uh, well, very quickly, um, uh, my parents um, grew up during World War II. Uh, my dad fled from the communists when he was 12 and from the Nazis when he was 13. Survived all that, married my mom afterwards, who grew up under Hitler in southern Germany with a dad who was very outspoken uh, against Hitler and even had to go into hiding at one point. Um, and so th they were married after the war, came to Ohio. I was born there and grew up hearing about everything that they and their relatives went through. And, and so it spawned an interest at an early age uh, in an in international um, uh, developments and Bible prophecy, and I made a commitment when I was 11 years old, it was in sixth grade, that if anything were to happen in the United States, like what happened in Europe during World War II, that I would take a stand for the Lord no matter the cost. Mm -hmm. And I meant that, but, you know, as a kid, you, <laughs> you don't necessarily think that the Lord's going to take you up on something like that. Right. But uh, fast forward over a period of decades, um, I ended up eventually uh, being the Europe and Middle East trade specialist for the lieutenant governor of Indiana, who was the head of the Commerce Department. And I became a point man for them overseas, traveling uh, throughout the world, um, doing what I could to bring in uh, more business for Indiana to create more jobs back here on the home front. And, um, and my meetings overseas were organized 
through our American embassies that we had a special status with uh, that uh, guaranteed their support in organizing these meetings. So I was on the payroll of the state government, but my meetings when I traveled overseas were organized uh, through our embassies. And so I got to know a lot of the people in the commercial sections of our embassies. And of course, our U.S. embassies are under the State Department. A lot of people maybe don't make that connection, but uh, they're run by the State Department. And so I got quite an education very quickly. Um, When you work two or three or four days together with people and you have lunch and dinner with them, and even on some occasions they invited me into their homes, and, uh, you know, you kind of get to know people and talk about all kinds of stuff. And when you're in the area of economic development, international marketing, it's just one step further to talk about um, economic developments in the world and one step beyond that to talk about global political developments. And sometimes we uh, talk about religious things as well. And it was through those years uh, when I worked for the administration that I discovered that a significant percentage of people working in our State Department were committed to a globalist agenda. Uh, they were all for empowerment of the United Nations at the expense of our national sovereignty. And that really troubled me. And what troubled me even more was that I picked up on the fact that uh, the people that fell into that camp, uh, by and large, were not very fond of Bible-believing Christians or conservative Jews or Israel. And so that threw up a double flag. And so I began paying more and more attention uh, to that fact, asking seemingly dumb questions, sometimes intentionally, just to you know see how people would respond. And I began putting pieces together and, and, and doing research. I left my job eventually to, um, to try to document all this in, in a book, which came out in early 92, called En Route to Global Occupation. And my goal in that was really to... Uh, prepare Christians and and give them a better understanding of what this globalist movement is all about. And of course, back then, most people hadn't even heard of it. You know, they're they're aware of it now because it's in your face. But this has been going on for years and years, the planning behind it. And it was already in, in full gear back in the 80s and 90s. And so I've done my best over these last, um, 33, 32 years, um, trying to warn people, to enlighten them of this movement and how we as Christians should respond, what we can do to take a stand. Uh, Ultimately, of course, the goal is to draw people closer to the Lord, because if all this is really happening and you see how we're moving toward the fulfillment of end-time Bible prophecy, so we know ultimately how things are going to go, and we also realize, therefore, that we're getting closer and closer uh, to the Lord's return. Um, but, you know, between now and then, we also know there are going to be some very difficult things that happen on planet Earth, and Revelation 13 and 14 speaks into that. And so that's kind of an overview of, of where we're coming from. We've been doing a publication now since 1995, a quarterly research news journal that uh, we've got some of the best writers in the world that contribute to it who are experts in their fields. We cover the economic, political, religious developments and how they intertwine and try to connect the dots for people. And um, it's not the kind of thing you're going to see in the mass media because a lot of people in mass media, I mean, they won't touch it with a 10-foot pole because of, of some of the toes that it steps on. So we just want to speak the truth and and let the chips fall where they may and and just be led by the Spirit. Amen. And we're going to give people an opportunity tonight uh, to get on Gary's website so you can get that newsletter. Gary, let's get into it tonight. So much to catch up on from your perspective. And uh, tonight I I want to begin with um, just the war in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas. Uh, I've, I've said this on our broadcast before. Uh, we were in Israel just seven days before the attack. I was there on Yom Kippur, and I could sense, even during our 15 days there in Israel, it, there was just something not right. And I was very concerned that we were going to be there uh, during uh, a beginning of an attack or a war. And then when we flew home, I thought, well, I'm glad that was just my own feelings and not something the Lord was preparing me for. But then seven days later came the invasion of Hamas into Israel. 
and we we really want to give you this platform tonight to give us your perspective and what is happening over there as we speak and what how does this play into uh, as we head towards Daniel's 70th week and the beginning of the tribulation from your perspective? Well, um, we, we have been blessed to have some very, um, very good uh, contacts in, in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem specifically. One of my friends there uh, who I'm in contact with on a regular basis has two sons in the IDF, um, and he's very well connected um, to the mayor's office there and, and other, other government agencies, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. And some time back, he told me something that, to date, I haven't seen any reporting on it in any of our media. Um, ten of Iran's top generals have taken up positions in Syria, and they're pretty much calling the shots from there. Mm-hmm. In addition to that... You've got a lot of Russian advisors who've actually been in Syria for decades. Uh, Russia has been very close allies with Syria. At, at one point, and this may still be the case, they were pretty much running the, um, Syria's main naval base on the Mediterranean. Um, so you've got a Russian presence there and a very strong Iranian presence. Uh, you've got uh, Iran funneling weapons in many instances, through Syria into southern Lebanon to Hezbollah. So Hezbollah has, has geared up. Um, they're a much more powerful force than Hamas is, and they've got precision-guided uh, missiles and rockets by the tens of thousands, I'm told over 120,000 for sure, um, aimed at Israel. And so if they launch 10 or 15 of those at the same target, they're going to hit it. The Iron Dome isn't going to knock them all out. And so that's what I've been watching, is, is Hezbollah going to, you know, they've been playing around, they've been lobbing some rockets over into Israel, just kind of testing Israel's response, but they haven't launched an all-out attack yet. If that were to happen, everything changes, because, of course, Israel is, is tied up right now with Hamas in Gaza, but they also recognize the threat on the northern border. So quite a few soldiers uh, from the IDF are up there. Uh, keeping an eye on things. But if Hezbollah launches an all-out assault, the question then becomes, what does Israel do? If if most of this is being staged in Syria, with Iran supplying Hezbollah through Syria, uh, if Israel is serious about winning the war, they would almost have to hit Syria. And so that does bring to mind, and you probably know where I'm going with mm-hmm. this, Isaiah 17, verse 1 which talks about Damascus becoming a heap of ruins and never being a city again. And to date, my understanding is that Damascus is the oldest standing major city in the world that has never experienced mass destruction. And so there's a prophecy right there that is yet to be fulfilled. And and this war, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I hope it doesn't. But it's, you know, things are drifting in that direction, and it could. And if, if anything like that were to unfold, and then, you know, you've got Russia, again, in there, and you've got the war going on between Russia and Ukraine. And so things could escalate very quickly into a, um, at least the threat of a, of a world war, if not an actual world war, and, and then all bets are off on uh, where things would go from there. And I believe that there are globalist powers behind the scenes that want to see such a war, an expanded war, because they want to be able to terrify the people of the world and then come in afterwards and say, we have to have a world government so that something like this can never happen again. Um, you know, you think about it, the, um, World War One was fought, the League of Nations was formed afterwards to keep world peace, allegedly. Then World War II was fought. You had the United Nations established afterwards, a much bigger step toward global government. So it kind of makes logical sense, if you look at the the pattern of things, that a third major global conflict could, in fact, lead to the implementation or attempted implementation of a global uh, system of government. And, And that, too, is prophesied in Scripture. It's described in Revelation chapter 13 and 14, although the, the term world government isn't used. It, it's described there quite clearly. Let me ask you um, this question, if you've heard this or there's any merit to it, that the attack of Hamas was uh, into Israel was motivated 
by the rumblings of the Temple Mount and the um, red heifer being sacrificed uh, on Passover this year and their concern, uh, the Palestinians of the, the Temple Mount being taken over by Israel and trying to build a third temple. Is there anything uh, you've heard on, in that reign? I have not. I, I really can't um, address that. I don't have any special knowledge on that. But I'll tell you what I do know. Um, about two years ago, next month, um, I was on another program, and the host contacted me a day or two later and said a gentleman got in touch with me. He said it's urgent. He has to talk with you because he's got some information he wants to pass along to you. And so to make a long story short, um, we we talked, uh, this gentleman and I, for about an hour, and he had been mentored over a period of a few years by one of the top people in the World Economic Forum, and he had been drawn into that whole area but became wise to what is actually going on and is against all that. But he's played along with it just to gather information. And he told me that at a lunch that he had just a couple weeks before that time, so almost exactly two years ago now, a lunch with this mentor of his in the World Economic Forum, and he posed a type of question that went something like this. You know, as quickly as everything is unfolding and pieces are are coming together, do you believe that a a big lunge forward into the beginning of the Great Reset uh, New World Order could still happen this year? Now, that was in 2022. He barely got the question out of his mouth, and the guy emphatically said, 2024, 2024. Wow. And uh, this gentleman contacted me and wanted to talk to me just to tell me that, that they had a very specific timetable as of two years ago. Now, anything can happen. It can change. So I don't want to make a prediction, but it's good to know what our adversaries are thinking uh, because, you know, it helps us to be better prepared. So according to him, something big was being planned for 2024. Now, (laughs) it's an election year here in the U.S., which makes things extra interesting and the globalists, in a way, yes, they're, they're really in control of our main political positions in the U.S. right now. Um, that's fair to say. And so that's why they've been able to push their agenda forward the way that they have. But at the same time, they themselves are between a bit of a rock and a hard spot right now because they've got a, a president who, you know, half the time doesn't know what he's doing. They don't know if he can get reelected. So do they push him out and put somebody else in, or do they let him keep going? And if they do let him keep going because he won't step down, then would it be in their best interest to try to prop up the economy a little bit longer to be able to get him or someone else you know, reelected and then bring the House down? Or do they speed things up and say, we have just this window of opportunity because people are waking up, we've got to do this now, and I can't tell you which way it's going to go, but the next uh, seven or eight months are going to be extremely critical, and I think we'll, we'll be perhaps surprised and amazed at some of the things uh, that may be, be happening. Um, in, in one of my recent articles, I, I mentioned the, the possibility of a what I'm calling a triple play, and this is just coming out of their meetings that we've been uh, tracking, like COP28, the World Government Summit that just ended, the World Economic Forum in, in January, and their plans for this May with the global pandemic uh, treaty they want to get ratified um, in Geneva, and then the Summit of the Future being planned for September. So between the meetings that have already been held and those yet to come, um, you know, the the big discussion has been on another uh, pandemic that's in the offing at some point before too long, um, a potential economic meltdown or crisis, because if they want want to introduce a a new global economic system, then something has to happen to the old system to make it fail first. Otherwise, they don't stand a chance of thrusting this new system upon the people. And the third thing, you know, how many tens of thousands of illegals have come into our country from other countries that have been supporting terrorism. 
at least 70 to 80,000 young men of fighting age that have come into this country from um, p- countries like Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, uh, Syria, uh, and, and since October, over 20,000 Chinese that we know of. Right. There may be way more than that. And so it, it would be naive to think that's, that nothing's going to happen. At some point, um, there's going to be some type of act of terrorism sprung upon the people of this country. Uh, we, we, just, we don't know well. God in his grace and mercy has held that back. But it, it, at some point, I believe it's going to happen. And when you combine that with what's going on in the Middle East and, and the Russia-Ukraine war, uh, you look at, at, at an unraveling uh, that could occur very quickly. And so I'm caught between, you know, sharing all of this, not wanting to cause fear in people, but yet being open and truthful in what I, I see coming down the pike. And we've got to be prepared. The best way to be prepared, of course, spiritually, is to be walking closely with the Lord Um but also, I think it's wise for people to make at least some physical preparations as best as they can to be prepared for hard times. Because if there is an act of terror or um, uh, something coming in from Iran or another country, or even if it's an inside job, you're looking at a potential cyber, massive cyber attack or EMP strike that could really shut things down for a lengthy period of time. And... Um, you know, it could be this year, it could be a few years from now, but I think we're headed in in that direction. So again, we've got to be walking closely with the Lord. He is our comfort. He's our rock. He's our shield. Without that, I don't know how people survive, you know, and people ask me all the time, how in the world do you keep going knowing what you do? Well, that's why. I mean, we we pray, we seek the Lord, we trust Him, and we know that our eternity is secure in him mm-hmm. and that he is our hope. And that's the name of our uh, organization, Hope for the World, because of our focus on on Christ, all the more so when we see what's going on around us. Amen. Gary Kaz, our guest tonight on The Last Trump, an expert in globalism and the one world government that we see prophesied in the end times in the, the word of God. Uh, Gary, so much more to get into. I've got to take a station break at the top of the hour, but... Uh, in the few minutes before that break, I mean, here we are in an election year and we have the two same candidates that we had four years ago. And are you surprised at all that the GOP has thrown their support again behind President Trump and did not uh, with any other candidate? Is that a surprise to you or as you see things, uh, you know, and you know things behind the scenes, is this all uh, very predictable? Well, Trump has been very strong. He hasn't backed down. And people see the persecution that's taking place. I mean, it's unprecedented what's going on. You know, three, three $350, 400000000 million lawsuit awards, 90-some indictments, anything to tie him up in court. And so he's actually gone up in the polls because of that, because I think many people see this persecution against Trump because he has been standing against the globalists, the, the, the loudest and, and the strongest, despite some of his personality things and some you know, ridiculous statements he, he sometimes makes. I think people appreciate the fact that he has stood up uh, to the globalists. And one reason he's been able to do that is because he's not as blackmailable as some of the other candidates. Uh, these globalists, they like to have something on people because then they can control them. And the moment you don't do their bidding, you know, they'll, they'll move on you and you're, you're gone. And with Trump, because he's had enough money, he's more or less done what he wants to do, and they haven't been able to stop him. And so they're irate, and they want to make an example out of him. They want to tell people, look, if you stand up against us, this is what you can expect. You don't stand a chance. We're in control now. We're not leaving. We're here. And so I'm actually concerned if if um, if they can't knock him out by bleeding him to death through all these, uh, you know, financial uh, rulings against him, uh, they may try to take him out. And in doing so, start some kind of major civil unrest or civil war in this country. As divided as our country is right now, you know, we're just one step away from utter lawlessness and chaos abounding. And and that could happen in various ways. Um you know, if anything happened to Trump or and, and if, if Trump were to be able to hang in and actually win, then, you know, 
Soros is going to funnel millions through his foundations. I mean, you're going to have cities burning and everything else going on. We, I mean, just expect that. Uh, but if, if Biden gets back in or someone like him, as soon as the elections are, are over, if not before, uh, I think they're going to pull the plug. Uh, they're going to move forward with their agenda as quickly as possible because they want everything fully in place by 2030. They've made that clear. And so we're in that seven-year countdown period to 2030, and I think they'll do whatever they have to do to try to make that happen. So a lot of change is being planned over the next um, six or seven years. Gary, I I have a question for you, and I want to, in the second half hour, I want to uh, do a couple things. One, I have just a couple more questions, but I want to leave time at the end because I do not want to not ask you something that's really burning on your heart that you want the listeners to know um, and tonight, the, 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 the thing that I am hearing over the last week or so, this term of Christian nationalism, and I have also heard just recently uh, from the left, even bringing out the term, the new apostolic reformation, how that camp is really solidified behind Donald Trump. And it was interesting to me that the secular media uh, had that information of the new apostolic reformation or what we would call the dominionist. I wonder if you would just touch on, if you could, on this term Christian nationalism and what you see happening in terms of the Christian uh, evangelical vote for Trump and what, what's going on spiritually right now in this election from your perspective. Yeah, yeah I mean, we have to be careful with that because in, in desperation— um, we can't seek all the solutions through politics, although we're living in an era where politics and religion can't be divorced. It's completely intertwined, and a lot of people, I think, don't get that. But it's partly because of that fact that people feel very strongly, and because Trump has stood up to the globalists. Um, you know, when you look at the alternatives, I mean, he's he's been strong thus far. There's no guarantee with any human being as to what they're uh, going to do down the road. And so I understand that a wide variety of people are supporting Trump in hope that in hopes that he can stop this move toward the new world order for the United States because we want to remain a, a, a free nation. As far as the motives go, God knows men's hearts. There are all kinds of different motives for why people um, support any one person. Um, there, there are there are people some who I believe actually want Trump to get elected for the wrong reasons because they believe if he does, it will give the left an opportunity to riot and burn and, and just, uh, you know, America goes nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, like I said earlier before the break, if Biden or someone else like him stays in there, we're going to go down this path of, of globalism, too, and it's going to speed up after the election. So right now, America, in my opinion, is in a position where we're, we're close to the point of no return. We've let things go so far and have taken so long to wake up, and we're still not awakened to where we need to be. And so it, I think we're already under a form of God's judgment when you think about it. Yes. Um, the fact that you know Biden is our president, uh, I mean, this, the, the world sees our weakness— and then I was just uh, picking up a, a news story just minutes before I came on the air where there is a strong push to pass uh, legislation next month in March um, that it will take us down this path even further of, of um, young people who don't know if they're a he or a she uh, respecting that, boys being able to go into girls' bathrooms and anybody who pushes back, they'll be the ones who get into trouble. Just unbelievable stuff that the rest of the world even is shaking their heads. And so how could America go from being a predominantly Christian nation or at mm. least basing you know, our country on a Judeo-Christian ethic, right, even if a majority of people weren't truly born-again Christians, at least uh, b- building a foundation on that ethic, going from that to where things are today. I mean, there's been a complete unraveling, uh, morality-wise, especially over the last 10 years. Uh, over the last 20 or 30 years or longer, but really in the last 10 years, 
it, it's it's been moving with lightning speed in ways that um, really we couldn't foresee it going this quickly. And so, what do we really expect? You know, uh, how how is God to react? Is He going to intervene on behalf of a nation that's lost its mind, hmm. um, that is running headlong in, into sin, and 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 pushing a lot of these maddening adulteries on the rest of the world. Um, just a quick rabbit trail here. We, we've been uh, very um, connected with Costa Rica. We have a lot of friends down there, and, and 12 years ago we helped start a church down there that was just one of the greatest times of our lives. My wife and I and our two youngest, and um, um, in that country we learned that during the Obama administration— at a time when a lot of the members of the parliament down there were gone on vacation, it was one of the holidays, I can't remember, it may, may have been Christmas, the liberals stayed behind and they pushed through a piece of legislation uh, that took the country to the far left on the whole, the, the whole homosexual marriage agenda and all of that. And... It was because the Obama administration had threatened to cut off all funding to Costa Rica unless they did this. And so they've worked through our State Department around the world to push things on the other countries of the world in ways that most Americans aren't even aware of. And that includes the, the homosexual agenda, the, the trans agenda, uh, abortion, all of that in the name of population control and 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 being tolerant and and all of that the US has been the number one force in the world over the last 10 to 20 years to bring all of this about and so how how do you suppose god views that and and so yes he understands there's a remnant here in the country that is awakened and and walking with him but we're still a very small minority and and so on on the whole, uh, God cannot be pleased with the U.S. right now. And, and so if, if, if we've ever sensed a need to get on our knees, uh, I'll tell you, right now is the time. As Christians, everybody listening, I urge all of you, even tonight, to get on your knees before God, cry out to Him, and ask Him to intervene on our behalf, on, on behalf of His remnant. And I don't know how and you know it, it can happen, um, but God is mighty, and he can still do things, even at this late hour. But unless there's divine intervention, it has to come from the Lord himself. Um, you know, I don't know if we have another year or two left. I mean, I, honestly, I things are going so quickly right now, yeah. and uh, I, I don't see us making it in one piece to 2030, I can tell you that, uh, the way things are going right now, unless there's a complete turnaround. Uh, and you know, I know in the past God has allowed certain terrible things to happen, to come upon nations because of where they were at, and that happened with Israel. Right. You know, we follow Israel's example throughout the Old Testament. God yeah. would warn them over and over and over. Sometimes they'd repent, God would, would relent, and they'd have some prosperous years with good kings. Other times they wouldn't repent after repeated warnings, and, and then we all know what happened. And, and so I think our, our country is right at that point right now. We're on the brink of that, and things are going to break one way or the other, um, but I think it's, it's going to be pretty quick. I could not agree more with what you just said. Um, everything that you have said from the very beginning, so profound and so important for the listener to hear. I wanted to get your perspective, Gary, on uh, it, you know, if you see any significance uh, to the upcoming eclipse, the the total solar eclipse. I know this is catching our area, Western New York. We're expected uh, in Niagara Falls to see nearly a one million people on the Canadian and New York side. Uh, I was in Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, just a few days ago, and the rooms there are going on Lake Erie for one thousand dollars a night. And a three day or a three night minimum. So you have to spend $3,000 just to stay in a hotel on Lake Erie. And this is um, uh, all the hotels are sold out. The people are paying the money to come in. And we uh, also have learned 
on that uh, trajectory of the second eclipse going back seven years ago when we had the other total uh, solar eclipse, both of those forming this X, if you will, across America. Uh, I know we there we have seen that the towns that this eclipse is going to pass through in totality, many uh, have, have marked that out and we've seen the town of Nineveh uh, seven times from San Antonio, Texas, all the way up to Nova Scotia. I didn't even know there were that many towns named Nineveh in America. And also uh, where the conjunction of these two total eclipse seven years apart are right over the new Madrid fault line. Also the, the arc of in Kentucky. Uh, so many of these things seem prophetic in nature as a warning uh, what's your perspective, Gary, on these? Well, I mean, throughout history, there have been times where there were eclipses and, and major events uh, happened around that time. Uh, and so you could make an argument that, I mean, God can certainly use uh, the, the signs in the heavens uh, to get people's attention. Um, it appears that this particular eclipse is going to have more people observing it than any eclipse ever. Um, it's coming right through Indiana, too, central Indiana. Oh, so the same thing is happening here. They're expecting a huge uh, tourism influx at that time because of the eclipse. And so it's, it's interesting that there is this level of fascination with it. That alone is, is making it a kind of a, a, a big event. Um, but we'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But if 2024 is going to be a major year, like... Uh, what my new friend mentioned a couple of years ago, uh, stating that that was at least the plan of the World Economic Forum uh, to pull off some something big in 2024, then certainly this e- eclipse um, perhaps could be taken as a, as a sign of that. Yeah, interesting that it's falling on April 8th, the, f- the first day on the uh, calendar for the, the month of Nisan, the Jewish calendar, Passover mm-hmm. month. Um, so much uh, to look at, so much uh, to really uh, discern. And Gary, what what we see and what we're hearing tonight from you is there is a warning going out to the citizens of America to repent, get right with God. And how can a a normal you know person going to church on a Sunday morning when they see our country in such trouble, anything more than praying, is there anything more we can do to to really, um, I guess, really try to wake up the nation? I mean, uh, it seems so like like we're, we're so desperate and this ship is going down and so many of people are saying, what can we do? Yeah, I mean, uh, taking a stand wherever God's planted us in our sphere of influence is so important. And I, I remember a few years back hearing someone share something in a Sunday school class about how they uh, they were bold about their faith. In their minds, they were bold, and came to find out what they considered bold was they finally, after years of working in that office, told people that they go to church. And I thought, oh my goodness. That, I mean, and, and that's that's how many Christians are. They hide their faith. They're, they're almost ashamed about it or embarrassed by it. And or some will say, well, I'll just I'll walk the talk, then I don't have to talk. Well, you want to walk the talk, but you want to talk too. you mm-hmm. want to speak into situations graciously, mercifully. But still, as a believer, we're called to be salt and light in this world and make a difference every day, wherever we've been planted. And, um, you know, as far as going out and starting large organizations and all that, I think it's too late for that. But what all of us can do, if all of us would reach those around us to the best of our ability with God's help, uh, Jesus understood that principle well. He picked 12 men. That's it, 12. And from those 12, look how that grew and became tens of thousands in, in a short period of time after, after the resurrection. And so don't underestimate the grassroots effort. If Christians really caught on fire for the Lord the way they need to be, uh, the difference that we could make in our communities, uh, and, and, and politically as well, locally here. I'll give you one example. In Indiana, um, the local sheriff in our county 
uh, is, is someone we've known from the past, uh, uh, from our church. He's a believer. And when our governor, back during COVID, tried to make a power play and go beyond his authority, the day after the announcement was made, our sheriff in this county said, no way, this is unconstitutional, I'm not going to support this. He made a bold statement as a Christian. The next day, something like 30 or 40 other sheriffs from counties around the state backed him up. That emboldened the Indiana General Assembly that has a good number of Christians in there, one of them our insurance agent, and and the next-door neighbor of my wife growing up in the town she grew up in. Anyway, he, you know, other others in the Indiana General Assembly, they took a stand and pushed back against the governor, and it, it became a huge embarrassment to him. He got shut down, but it's, it, it happened with one Christian sheriff in one county, and within three days all this happened. And, and so, again, I, I think sometimes we feel helpless to be able to do anything, but we just need to take it a, a day at a time, do what we can do, and that's different for each of us. You know, for me right now, it's doing programs like this and, and getting the message out. Um, for other people, uh, you know, we have a daughter that works in the, in the medical community and, and a son-in-law. They have opportunity to, to reach patients every day, and some of them are prominent people who are their patients, you know, who, who come into the hospital. All of us have areas of, of ministry opportunities, and we really need to seek the Lord on that and then and move quickly and be bold. And if we don't have uh, the answers or the comeback to people's questions, you know, there there's so much good information that is online. And, uh, and I mean, we do our best through the, the people who write for our publication to address some of these very things. And, and so people should feel free to go to our website, which is simply garycaw.org, myname.org, and you can look at some of our articles and, and um, uh, subscribe to our uh, publication. We try to keep people up to date on the most important issues because there's so many things happening right now that we try to cut through all that and say these are the, the most important things right now that you need to be aware of. And so, you know, hopefully people can take advantage of that. That's us doing our part. Um, but it, it's got to be bathed in, in, in prayer. Like I said, everybody's got different skills, different gifts that God has given us, but we're not helpless. We can all do something. Gary, give your website out again, uh, if you could spell your name out for the people at home. Sure. It's www.garykah.org. Just simply garykah.org. And um, we've posted uh, some of our interviews. We don't put all of them up, but we put some of them up. Um, And um, some articles um, and just a lot of good information up there. And also, uh, if people are interested, they can get... Uh, my two books, the one that came out in 92 called En Route to Global Occupation, and that was about 800 pages of research writings that I condensed down to 220 pages. So it's, it's really a, a summary um, that connects a lot of the dots. And then we did a follow-up book called The New World Religion in which we actually reproduced documents on the stationery and letterheads of some of the organizations involved in this effort of moving us toward world government. We, we did the same in the first book as well. So we actually put the evidence in front of people, which makes it difficult to argue with, you know, unless people want to say we literally fabricated the signatures, the names, the letterhead, the stationery, and all that, and um, nobody in their right mind would, would say that. They, they realize it's authentic information. So it just proves that this is, is real uh, and maybe it might be helpful with skeptics if you have friends who are skeptics who just don't want to believe there's there's an organized effort behind this. Um, I, I would say start with, with those books because it will prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I forgot to mention earlier, I might as well say it now, I was actually invited along the way back in the 80s to join two of the organizations that were involved in this globalist effort. And it was a God thing. Uh, he made, uh, he opened the door, made it possible. Uh, the one organization, I had no idea what I was getting myself involved in. I thought it was good initially and then quickly found out that it wasn't. The other organization, I knew from the beginning that it wasn't good, but I was provided with the opportunity to get an inside look at it. And so I, 
I took that and over four years received at least a couple hundred pages of their documents on their letterheads. Um, I received a copy of a world constitution that had already been drafted, a prototype uh, that they've been tweaking along the way. Uh, but this is an organization that one of the vice presidents of it was a former U.S. attorney general. That's right. Mm. A, a man who in our country served and, and headed up, it was over the FBI and all of that. He was one of the vice presidents of this organization that had already drafted a world constitution. One of the other vice presidents was uh, the president of the World Muslim Congress uh, from Pakistan, Dr. Inamullah Khan, who was arguably the most powerful Muslim in the world at that time. Um, also involved in the organization was Cynthia Waddell, uh, the former president of the World Council of Churches. So they covered all the religions. These people, they're smart. They, they know they have to draw the religions in. And, and bring forth a semblance of, of unity among the world's religions. Otherwise, they can't pull off this world government. So that's been their biggest challenge, is getting the world's religions unified. And so they've been working through the World Council of Churches, which gets, has, has gotten much of its funding from the Rockefeller Foundation over the years. So, so much going on. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, but you know what? You asked me earlier about some of the religious... Uh, events going on right now uh, in this country. What we have to be careful of is that there is not a false unity that takes shape among different so-called Christian groups, because some people, although they might be well-intentioned, um, they're embracing um, doctrines that are unscriptural, right. and they're they're really racing toward a false unity. And I believe this could be the the beginnings of the great apostasy spoken of in Scripture. And uh, the World Council of Churches—that's just one example. You have most of the mainline churches in America that belong to that organization. Virtually all of them espousing very strongly replacement theology, so they have an anti-Israel stance, which explains a lot. You know, they've been uh, promoting the divest movement, uh, urging people to not invest in, in Israel and, and to come against them. And that's the stuff I ran into back in the 80s in my job. The, sa uh, the same thing that was taking place at the uh, embassies through some of the people in the State Department. And now you're seeing people who call themselves Christians pushing the same agenda for these globalists. And it's... Uh, I get real frustrated <laughs> by seeing this. It's just maddening sometimes. You want to shake people, but they they just don't see what's um, what, what's happening. And, and uh, I do want to say this, too, because I forgot to mention it earlier. Not all of the people that worked in our embassies uh, have been on board, were then on board, or are now on board with this agenda. But the Christians that work in our embassies are few and far between. Uh, we had a, a close friend who until recently worked at one of the uh, embassies, and there were something like 120 employees there. And he said only the ambassador who had been appointed at that time by Trump and one other person along with himself that he knew of after three years of working there were believers out of 120. Wow. And so that, that tells you the whole story there. And that's yeah. even worse than, you know, when I was in the loop dealing with our embassies back in the 80s. So Very troubling. Uh, Gary, we have just a minute here, uh, literally just one minute. I wanted to give you that opportunity to pray with folks that have been listening tonight and have great concern for our country, but most importantly, that they would know Christ. Could you lead us in a, a moment of prayer? Yes. Um, uh, Lord God, we... We are in very difficult times, and you warned about these times, Lord, and now only you know what's going to transpire in the next few months. But, Lord, we want to be spiritually prepared for whatever yes. comes our way. We want to be able to stand strong for you. And so, Lord, for those of us who are believers, we ask that you would strengthen us, mm -hmm. that you would remove any fear, that you would make us bold and courageous for you, and, uh, and for those who are not believers, I would just ask that right now that you invite Jesus yes. into your heart as your Lord and as your Savior, realizing that only he was able to pay the penalty for your sins by dying on the cross yes. and being raised from the dead. 
and now he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He has conquered death. And through him, we as well can conquer death. But we have to believe that he is the only way, that there is no other way to heaven. We can't be perfect enough no matter what we do in this world. We are fallen. We're in a fallen state. And it's only through Jesus that we can have eternal life. And so pray to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to help you through the power of the Holy Spirit to repent of your sins. That means turning away from the direction you've been going in and going in a different direction of of seeking to please God with your everyday life, walking with him and step with him and abandoning uh, your sin from the past. And so we just ask, Lord, that you would seal these decisions being made for you right now and that you would not let any of them go back on it, Lord, any of the listeners who are praying right now to you, but that they would move forward with you in power and in truth, and that they would remember that you are good, you are a stronghold in the day of trouble, and you know those who trust in you. Thank you. We praise you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Gary Cobb, thank you so much. Uh, It's been a a tremendous hour, a very fast hour. For those of you that want to stay in touch with Gary, uh, go to his website, www.garykakah.org, and you can stay connected and learn all of these fascinating things that are happening so fast. Gary, we're going to have you back real soon. God bless you. Thank you so much, brother, for being with us. Thank you, Mike. God bless you. That is Gary Ka, and that is the end of The Last Trumpet. Stay with us. Coming up next, Cross-Eyed Radio. Don't miss it. You have been listening to The Last Trump, a radio talk show sponsored by Joshua Revolution. If The Last Trump has been a blessing to you, please let us know by sending a testimony on how the program has helped you. If you would like to support The Last Trump financially, you can send financial gifts to Joshua Revolution, P.O. Box 923, Grand Island, New York, 14072 or go to our website at joshuarevolution.org. We thank you for your help and prayers, and remember to tune in next week at 8.30 p.m. for The Last Trump, a study on end times prophecy.